Hello and welcome to another episode of Positive Sum. My name is Scott Harvey. I study finance and economics at Northeastern University and I've had a few co-op experiences within traditional investment management and the ESG space. Remember, each episode in this podcast will be centered around this idea called the social contract and how a just, equitable, and inclusive social contract can enable a pluralistic, anti-racist, multicultural democracy to thrive economically in a positive some way. Each episode will consider what this new social contract may look like, how the current one falls short, and if any better alternatives exist. On this episode, I'm considering the question, what is a positive sum social contract? In other words, what is my mission here? And why is positive sum so central that it became the title of this podcast? I'm considering this question rather than answering it because this is my first of many attempts towards a complete answer. I won't get there by the end of this episode, but I will get the ball rolling. Fair warning though, this episode will be very abstract. Don't expect yourself to understand each idea or topic. I'm trying to figure it out and not sure if I understand every aspect of what I'm saying yet. With time, I will learn more and hopefully you do as well. What is a positive sum social contract? For the sake of time, I will turn the consideration of this question into two separate episodes. First, in this episode, I will try to describe what I mean by positive sum. Then, in the next one, I will introduce the idea of a social contract. From there, all future episodes will apply the combination of these two concepts, acting as a focal point to structure the journey moving forward. So, what does positive sum mean? The term positive sum has multiple meanings. It is the name of this podcast, and it is also a term from game theory. It is related to others such as zero sum and negative sum, which exist along a spectrum of different results from legal disputes or negotiations during which somebody wins, somebody loses, and a certain sum of practical wealth is distributed accordingly. This wealth could be money, land, or vacation time. In the spirit of game theory, think of these disputes or negotiations as strategic games during which the parties involved are playing unique versions of chess. Moreover, the amount of wealth won or lost is considered a payoff. It is important to note that I will use these terms in a more general economic context rather than just pertaining to legal disputes and negotiations. Each economic activity exists 
along a spectrum of strategic intensity for any party because each activity involves decisions being made in the face of a variety of choices and certain constraints. The degree of strategic difficulty depends on the nature of these choices and the severity of the corresponding constraints. To connect the ideas of zero-sum, negative-sum, and positive-sum with the spectrum of strategic economic activities, I will eventually move beyond the pure game theoretical definitions and instead will view these terms as mindsets influencing anyone's decision-making tendencies. In game theory, zero-sum is when the winner earns a payoff equal to the amount the loser loses. The wealth pie is fixed throughout the game. Thus, as one party gets a larger payoff, the other loses something. In other words, the net payoff equals zero. Remember this term zero-sum. Many people tend to view life this way because, on the surface, it seems to describe how life works. But it doesn't have to be this way. I think that there are better alternatives. It just seems that those who subscribe to a zero-sum mentality are pessimistic about how economic value is created and think that it is either hard or impossible to create new economic value. But before I continue further with this idea and before we can enjoy those better alternatives, I want to talk about negative sum first. Negative sum is when the total payoff amount exchanged between all parties shrinks compared to before the game. In the end, the net payoff exchanged will be less than zero. Thus, the only way for a party to maintain its position is to take something from another party. For this to work, I'm going to use an example that is still a work in progress, so please bear with me. Imagine that two parties lose money as a secondary effect in addition to money gained or lost directly because of an economic transaction. These secondary costs are indirect costs. They could be because of fees or taxes involved. Since the total amount of money both parties have is now lower, it is impossible for both parties to at least be as well off as they were before the game started. This is because I think direct and indirect costs from the transaction cause the wealth pie to shrink, assuming getting money from other sources is off the table. So, if there is one winner and one loser, and the winner wants to recoup all indirect and direct costs, it has to come from somewhere and likely will come from the loser. The money could come from other places such as tra uh, another transaction or a bank. But for this example, let's say that the winner wants the loser to pay for all the indirect and direct costs from this transaction. For some reason, the winner holds them responsible for all of these costs. Now, it is an easy step to imagine how this kind of transaction can be exploitative, especially if the indirect costs are not the loser's responsibility. It might be possible that Direct costs are also exploitative, but more on that in a different episode. Finally, we can now talk about the better alternatives, namely positive sum alternatives. Essentially, they all fall under the umbrella of positive sum. 
Positive sum represents the outcome of a situation in which the net payoff is greater than zero among all parties. This becomes possible when the size of the pie is somehow enlarged so that there is more wealth to distribute between the parties than there was originally. At this point of this episode, I will now begin to think of zero-sum, negative-sum, and positive-sum less concretely, or just less narrowly, than they are defined in game theory. Um, Instead of these games just involving payoffs, I will view these games as inputs into a larger mentality that thinks about these payoffs through the tradition of cost-benefit analysis. During zero-sum and negative-sum games, there is a certain myopic pattern that seems to exist and persist. This myopia can be described by the pessimism shared by a zero-sum mindset and the sometimes exploitative outcomes shared by the negative-sum mindset. Even this negative-sum mentality seems to share the same pessimism about economic value creation as does the zero-sum mentality. No language seems to exist about how any party within either mindset can increase their wealth. Rather, they must take it from somebody else. Negative sum and zero sum seem to produce mindsets that only care about protecting against downside risk rather than exploring new opportunities to advance their potential winnings over the long term. How does this pie somehow enlarge when someone wins and someone else loses during positive-sum games? How are they different from zero-sum and negative-sum games? What is my perspective as it relates to this podcast? Well, parties involved in positive-sum games move beyond this myopic view of economic creation and instead, they understand it through a growth mindset. Positive-sum games look beyond any single economic transaction and instead consider the big picture. The parties involved in uh, positive-sum games practice systems thinking and understand that this single transaction is one of many uh, with the same counterpart and that they will have to balance many relationships of varying scale and scope. Essentially, the additional wealth added to the transaction is the value gained because the transaction helped further develop the relationships between the parties. Using finance jargon that helps paint a powerful picture, positive sum games involve a net positive payoff because the present value of all future expected transactions between all parties involved is positive. Thus, this increases the amount of economic value all parties could potentially receive throughout the course of their relationships. The same logic is applied to stock valuation, but in relation to free cash flows for a firm. However, the value of those expected transactions um, for positive sum games are dependent on the strength of those relationships, not necessarily free cash flows. After reading a book called The Future of Capitalism by Paul Collier and learning about the Jutuansi, a group of long-time hunter-gatherers in southern Africa, I am confident that all relationships are dependent on fair reciprocal obligations to some degree. 
As two or more people successfully complete more reciprocal obligations, the strength of the relationship increases. This means that trust increases as well. As trust develops, the nature of reciprocated obligations changes to become more flexible and more valuable. Trust also offers a chance for all parties to capture efficiency gains as they begin to work like a well-experienced team and can anticipate the wants and needs resulting in more valuable experiences overall. In a future episode, I will dive deeper into the idea of reciprocal obligations, but for now, I will briefly describe what I mean by this concept. Given my studies and further musings, I now think of the term obligation in this context as flexible. It is not fundamentally synonymous with duty and is not about only following some rigid rule prescribed by tradition. It could, but it isn't limited to those examples. Obligations are opportunities to further develop relationships. The nature of obligations is dependent on the people involved in their preferences, but fundamentally it involves a choice. There are benefits and costs to that choice, and it is up to the decision maker to determine if the benefits outweigh the costs or vice versa. These obligations can also be seen as favors at an earlier stage. So far, I've used the term obligation, but now I've introduced the idea of favors. Favors become obligations when a person commits to doing them. No one has to do the favor, but if they do, people tend to appreciate it because they recognize any sacrifices made in order to help and value the time made available by foregoing the next best opportunities. Interestingly, the opportunities sacrificed are also opportunity costs in economics. Somehow, we tend to recognize when someone foregoes a valuable opportunity to help someone else. Committing to favors thus tends to help advance a relationship really well. But once committed, favors become obligations because the commitment represents an informal contract. It becomes expected that the party providing the favor will complete it. Otherwise, the party receiving the favor will no longer trust that their counterpart will help them in the future, especially when a situation is dire. This is problematic because of an idea called reciprocity, which adds a fascinating dynamic to favors and obligations. So, given the gravity of the dynamic of reciprocal obligations, when trust is lost, so are future reciprocations because it sets a bad precedent in the relationship. In these situations, myopia sets in because of perceived downside risk. Thus, people practice zero-sum and negative-sum mentalities. On the other hand, when um, trust is gained, there is opportunity for more reciprocations and thus more economic opportunity. In these situations, a growth mindset develops, and this is because less time is spent focusing on downside risk and more time thinking about new doors to open. These different mindsets can create two different types of feedback loops that can be extended to the institutional level and then the societal level as well. This is why the term positive sum is so important, why I've chosen it to 
place it at the center of this podcast. I've been mulling over this for months, and I hope some of it makes sense. If it doesn't, I could be off the mark, or we need more time to iron out the kinks. Either way, thanks for listening. I deeply appreciate it. Um, This is tough stuff. The journey will continue with the next episode describing the social contract and how I plan to use it in relation to positive sum and throughout future episodes. Stay tuned.